Would you please turn with me to your study outlines there in your program? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, uh, as well as our friends at Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. And we're continuing a series that I introduced last Sunday called Uniquely Made, Tools for Understanding How God Made Each of Us. And last week, I introduced the series, took the whole message to introduce the series, and I would encourage you, if you didn't get it, if you weren't here last Sunday, go online and catch that message, and I'll do a full explanation of why we're doing this and how we're approaching this. But most of all, what I want you to do is to go to purposechurch.com tools, and there you can take the free test uh, to see which of the nine personality types God made you to be. And that test is not infallible. That test is not perfect. So consider the results of that test, uh, the descriptions of the different personality types. Have other people give you feedback in your life group, in your family, among your friends. Have them give you feedback uh, to begin to figure out what personality type, what combination. Sometimes you're a combination of more than one, maybe even two or three, uh, to begin to figure this out. And then we're going to use three applications uh, each Sunday so that it applies to everybody, not just the ones that we're covering on that particular Sunday. Uh, First of all, if you are that number, if you're, for example, a number one or a number two, if you're a helper or a reformer this morning, it's going to have really strong application for you. But 100%, almost 100% of people will know somebody that fits the descriptions of a helper or a reformer. And so it's going to help you in your relationships with them. But then it's going to apply to all of us because we believe uh, here at Purpose Church that one of our core values is we're better together. And each of the personality types challenge the other eight in a particular area. And so we're all going to be challenged to be more like uh, the helpers or more like uh, the reformers. And so the, the ones that we're talking about today challenge all of us. And can I just say something that, you know, there might be a temptation to think, oh, okay, we spent the whole summer in Deuteronomy, so this is kind of a, a foo-foo, uh, uh, you know, topical series to kind of balance out after all the whole summer in the book of a heavy book like Deuteronomy. I'm telling you, I think this may be one of the deepest series we've ever done. I know for me, this, this study has gotten underneath into my blind spots and, and pointed out sin in my life more than anything else has done. It has just like shown light on some blind spots. And I really believe that far from being kind of a, you know, self-help, uniquely made kind of thing, you know, for our, oh no, it's going to be way more than that. If you will uh, open your heart to what God wants to say to us through these biblical examples of these personality types, I think that we're going to get into some territory we haven't been in before. And I know, like I said, personally for me, it's helped me in my relationships. Personally for me, it has helped dig into some areas beneath the surface. You know, David prayed. He said, God, cleanse me of hidden faults. Uh, Lord, show me the hidden. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know my anxious thoughts. Uh, David, David said, God, get beneath the surface into things that I can't see. Help me to see. And I think this series is going to do that more than any other series that we've ever done. So Pastor Eric is going to start us off with uh, type one, the reformer. Well, good morning again, and we're so glad that you're here with us. And like Pastor Glenn was saying, this series is going to convict and challenge 
all of us. And I have the privilege of talking about the Enneagram type one that's classically called the reformer, the moral perfectionist. And I am so excited for just the next few minutes. What I want to do is just briefly kind of describe this personality type. And I imagine that as I share it, there's going to be some of you that are going to go, man, it feels like you're in my head right now. Like this is exactly how I think. This is how I feel. I'm even going to share a few possible blind spots and weaknesses. And you're going to go, oh, I hope nobody else knows that about me. That's okay, right? Like this is a safe place for us to be open and honest with each other. But there's going to be some of you that you go, that's not me, but that is who I'm married to, right? Or that's not me, but that's my roommate. That's my kid. That's my grandparent. And so our hope and our desire is that throughout this series um, that you will find yourself, if you are the number we're talking about, that you will find yourself challenged and encouraged. But also, if you're not that type, as each one of Pastor Glenn and I are going to share, we have an encouragement and a challenge for you. And so for us, we will be looking at the life of Paul. Let me start with a little bit about the ones and see if this relates to you or somebody that you know. Ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. They're well-organized, orderly, and they try to maintain a high standard, but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with resentment and impatience. At their best, they are wise and discerning, realistic and noble. They can be morally heroic. Ones has, have a sense of mission that leads them to want to improve the world in various ways, using whatever degree of influence they have. Now, what's interesting about each one of these personality types is they have a core fear and a basic good. And if you haven't taken the test yet, make sure you go to purposechurch.com slash tools and take that test. But maybe you have and you're still unclear. One of the best tips I can give you is if you're trying to kind of figure out which of these types God has made you to be, the best thing you can do is start to look at their core fears and ask yourself, which one of those most relates to me? For the ones, their core fear is being corrupt, being evil, or being defective. I mean, at, at like a very deep level, at a soulish level, these are the fears that a one carries. At the same time, their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity, and to ultimately be balanced. Now, if you know a one, the, this next portion is going to relate to you. And if you are a one, you're going to go, oh, I've seen those things lived out in me. I want to talk just for a few minutes about how somebody with this personality type communicates. So let's look at how a one communicates when they're healthy. So this is how a one communicates when they're healthy. When I am doing well, I am honest, poised, polite, sincere. I have well thought out ideas and opinions and I make sure goodness prevails for everyone. What an amazing quality. And here's the thing, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but ones live with this inner critic. And maybe you have that. You're just constantly critical of yourself. Maybe you're critical of other people. We want to pause and just stop and say, these qualities God has given you. This desire that good would prevail is an incredible quality and we need that in the world. 
world. Now, when a one is not like at their best self, when they're not at their healthiest, this is some of what you might see. When I am not doing well, I can speak in a teaching, correcting, and judgmental way. Now, here, do not elbow somebody next to you, okay? Like, like, let's just be gracious to each other, right? Do not elbow anybody. When I'm not doing well, I can speak in a teaching, correcting, and judgmental way. Become easily irritated, opinionated, and show my displeasure visibly. So um, I have a lot of ones in my life, and I love the ones in my life. Um, Pastor Tomiko is a one, which is absolutely awesome. Um, Adrian, who is now our, our creative director here at Purpose Church, he was our junior high pastor for about four years, uh, and he is a one. And so Adrian and I got to work really close together, and it was so awesome to see him because he is somebody who just is so passionate about the very best thing happening. In fact, a lot of the excellence that's happening around here at Purpose Church, we have such an incredible team here that do that, and Adrian is so passionate about those things. And I've seen, I've seen the healthy and the unhealthy, as he has seen in me, the healthy and the unhealthy. I've seen in meetings with fellow ones, not just Adrian, but fellow ones, where when, when an idea, like the very best idea, isn't getting pushed forward, you can see it visibly in them. Like you can see, like in terms Internally, like this is not right and then at the same time when I've gone to camp with Adrian I mean you should see him literally his eyes are huge he's big old smile he wakes up chipper every morning because he's like I love camp well that's when Adrian is operating at his best what's interesting about the Enneagram as well is that whatever number you are you usually have a place that you go to in health and a place that you go to in unhealth for for the ones I'll show you up on the screen for the ones the place that they go when they're really stressed is they go to, to the, um, the struggling parts of a four. So they can become uh, moody, they can turn their anger inward, they can alienate themselves and become self-conscious. But at the same time, when a one is really healthy, and maybe you've seen this in the people you love, they go to a seven, which a seven is optimistic and fun and joyful. And in a minute, Pastor Glenn, just to illustrate this, Pastor Glenn's going to talk about the twos. And for a two, when they are healthy, they go to the healthy parts of a four, which means they're emotionally aware, they're sensitive, they're honest about how they're feeling rather than just being overwhelmed by the tasks before them. But when they are unhealthy, they go to the downsides of an eight, where they are dominating, they are uh, angry, they can become very, very frustrated. What's interesting about the ones is that there's a guy, there's a guy in the scriptures that goes by the name Apostle Paul, and Paul, we believe, could have possibly been a one. And I want to show you in a few minutes uh, how Paul demonstrated his oneness. And I also want to offer an encouragement and a challenge to you. But before we do that, one of my ones, I'm not going to out who this person is, one of the ones in my life sent me this quote. This like describes how ones think and feel. I want to show this to you right now. Now, it's not that we have to be right all the time. It's that we happen to be right all the time. Don't you love that? I love the honesty of the ones here. It's not that we have to. It's the burden that they just always are, right? And maybe you know this person in your life. Well, Paul was kind of like that, especially before he met Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, we meet this Paul who is so passionate and believes that he had all the confidence in the world in his own flesh. In fact, he's going to give us seven of those right now. Let's look at them together. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, this 
this is a classic unhealthy one. I mean, they are rock stars. They believe that they have it together. This is what Paul says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This is significant. In the book of Genesis, it commands all Jews to be circumcised, but not just circumcised whenever you feel like it, circumcised on the eighth day. And so Paul says, not only was I circumcised, but I was circumcised on the perfect day. I did it perfectly. I didn't miss it at all. And then he says this, then he says this. He says, I am of the people of Israel. This means he didn't convert to Judaism, but he was born into it. He says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Really interesting. Benjamin was one of Jacob's son, but he was the only son of Jacob who was born in the Holy Land. So Benjamin has this sort of special place in the story of Israel. Paul says, I was from that group. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This means for generations and generations past, his family was followers of Yahweh in regards to the law, he was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees show up about 150 years before Jesus arrived on planet Earth. And so the Pharisees are literally, the definition for that word Pharisee is separated one. And so the Pharisees believe themselves to be a superior class within Judaism. And so Paul says, I was one of those guys. And then he says, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church. You see, every good Jew back in the first century would have had a passion about their faith, a zealousness about it. And then lastly, he says, as for righteousness, which means right relationship with God and right relationship with others, as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. To which, right, if his parents or somebody was there, they'd be like, I got a different version of the story. But according to Paul, according to Paul, he was faultless, had it absolutely all together. And what we see here, is Paul, the old Paul, had a spiritual superiority checklist. Friends, if you are a one, can I encourage you to ask yourself honestly, what is on your superiority checklist? When you look at the people around you, what is it that makes you feel better than them? That makes you feel more important to them? Because you see, Paul had that, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus got into the middle of that. Now, there, there's, this, uh, there's this Instagram account called Your Enneagram Coach, and we have it on our website. She's a Christian woman who talks about the Enneagram, and one of the things she talks about is that for each of these numbers, there's something to put to death and there's something to bring to life. In the put to death, she writes, your core weakness of resentment that leads you to be continually frustrated, dissatisfied, or angry with yourself and others, through Christ you are made perfect. What a powerful reminder, and what's so interesting is, is Paul, he has these moments where he said, I have all the confidence in the world. And then just a few minutes later in 1 Timothy, he writes these words. This is such a classic Enneagram one. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I mean, literally, he claims to be the worst of all sinners. And this is what you'll see with somebody who's an Enneagram one is there's moments where they are so confident and there's moments where those inner, that inner critic within them begins to speak up. One of the things that Enneagram One needs to bring to life, we can go to the bring to life, is your heart's core longing to know that you are good. 
You have been forgiven through Christ and his righteousness has been credited to you. You are a new creation. Now, like I said, I love ones. I am married to a one. So Sarah, my wife, she is a one. Um, and I've seen this with her for all the years that we've been together, this, this inner critic within her. She's so, uh, at times, just judgmental of herself. And as a seven, I'm like, things are great. Like, we're gonna be okay. But she's so honest and I so appreciate that. But there, there have been these interesting moments in our marriage. Recently, uh, maybe a, a few months ago Sarah came home and and I could just tell something was kind of off and and we went to bed that night and I asked her I said Sarah is everything okay and then she said this phrase to me and she gave me permission to share this but she said this phrase she said Eric I should be in prison right now (laughs) now you know I I don't lead the marriage class or you know I don't know much about marriage but I, I do know just pro tip if your spouse ever says I should be in prison just stop what you're doing you know what I mean like just pause, pause whatever's going on. That might be a time to lean in, right? Like, hopefully not, but if they do deserve to be in prison, there's some action steps. So anyways, um, she says, Eric, I, I should be in prison right now. And, and me being the one, or me being a seven, I just, I can't help but make jokes about things. And so I was like, totally, babe, like totally. Yeah, let's talk through that. Let's talk about that right now. What, what, what'd you do? She said this, she said, well, today um, I was shopping and uh, I saw somebody I knew. And I didn't go talk with them, but I, I turned away from them. And I was like, you should be on death row, babe. <laughs> you did what? You, you did, are you, right? So she did something that all of us have done, right? I mean, guilty, right? All of us have done that. But as a one, there's this inner critic within that has a difficult time letting those things go. What I want to encourage you with, especially if you are a one, is three practical next steps you can take that continue off of the passage in Philippians. The first practical next step encouragement is this. Choose to spend more time connecting with Jesus and less time criticizing yourself and others. Check out what Paul says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever were gains to me, that I had this former life of perfection, it is all lost to me for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you see what Paul does here? He says, I have a new fix in my life. And my fixation is not on my own perfection. My fixation is not on the imperfection of others, but my fixation, my eyes are glued to Jesus. Now, if you're a one, let me give you some hope and some encouragement. Jesus is perfect. He he perfectly lived. He He perfectly saved you. He perfectly rose from the dead. He will perfectly come back for you. And so your innate desire for things to be good and ultimately for things to be perfect can and only will be satisfied in a relationship with Christ. And what's awesome, friends, is as soon as you allow Jesus' perfection to be your standard, to be that which covers over your imperfections and the imperfections of others, I believe that you will stop focusing so much on the imperfections and on the challenges and on the struggles of others. If you're at Enneagram 1, I want to show you this chart. In in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, Paul gives 27 new identity phrases for those that are in Christ. 
And ones, you may wake up and feel like you are none of these things. In fact, you may be able to think about how no one in your life matches up, you don't match up, and that can be so enslaving and overwhelming. Well, Scripture says that if you are in a relationship with Christ, you are blameless. You are holy. You are chosen. Number two, remember that you are in process just like the rest of us, and we love that about you. It's okay that you don't have it all together. We are in this with you. Paul, in verse 12, Philippians 3, verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for Christ, which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul has this freedom to say, I don't have it all together. I haven't arrived yet. I am in process. Friends, especially those of you that are ones, it's okay when you make mistakes. We will love you. We will remind you of Jesus' ability to forgive you and to care for you. And number three, number three, stop replaying the past and trust it to God for he is not done with you yet. Verse 13 and 14 says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. For some of you, you are replaying that, those words you said. You are replaying that sin that you've been holding onto. And it is time to let that go into the hands of God. It is time to entrust that over to him, but also believing that he is not done with you yet. So don't give up on that desire to see the very best possibility play out. Don't give up on your desire to see people made whole, but those things that are holding you back, it's time that you entrust them to God. It's why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For you ones, you have critical thoughts going on in your mind all the time. And I just want to challenge you to ask yourself this question. Is this a God thought or is this a me thought? Is this a thought that God wants me obsessing about and thinking through? Or is this me being overly critical of myself and others? Name it. Name it. And then lastly, a challenge and an encouragement for those of us that know the ones in our life. What's going to lead to conflict? It's when you criticize them harshly. So be careful in how you approach them. It doesn't mean you aren't honest with them, but it means the how is very important in the way that you choose to engage them. So don't talk to them harshly. How can you show the ones love in your life? Actually listen to their concerns and their worries. I would confess, this is one of the challenges that as Adrian and I have been friends and been doing ministry together, is as a seven, I've had a hard time really leaning in and listening. That's an area where I need to grow, and anyone who loves a one in their life needs to grow. That ability to really lean in and listen. And then lastly, what can we learn from the ones in our lives? Here's what we can learn. That God sees the brokenness and has a desire to fix it. Ones point that out for us. But that the way in which God is going to fix the world is not through your performance. It's not through my performance. It's through his presence in our lives. So thank you once for reminding us of that. Uh, Martha was a type two or a helper. And we love the helpers in our life. We love the helpers of, of Purpose Church. Uh, These are the caring interpersonal type. 
Uh, They are demonstrative. They are generous. They are service-oriented and people-pleasing. In that story that we just saw, I made a mistake in in your your program. It's Luke, not Mark. Luke chapter 10. Uh, Let's go through that verse by verse. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now let's hold it there for just a second. Both Mary and Martha, it was both of their homes. But Martha's mentioned, why? Because as a two, as a helper, she took the initiative in meeting the needs of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Then verse uh, 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now let's hold it there for a second. Martha's doing what every good two would do. Is everyone comfortable? Do they have all that they need? Meanwhile, her good-for-nothing sister is sitting at Jesus' feet. Uh, Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Uh, Martha feels jealous and resentful. Everyone else is in the living room throwing back olives and laughing, and she's working herself to death in the kitchen cooking a lamb. Uh, She's angry because, as usual, she's doing the heavy lifting. Now this, tell her to help me, this might be the only place in the Bible where somebody actually orders God to do something. (laughs) Tell her to help me. Uh, in the book, uh, The Road Back to You, um, which is a great Christian book on this uh, study that we've been doing, uh, Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile, I love this quote. Hell hath no fury like an overworked two who is feeling underappreciated. Hell hath no fury like an overworked two who is feeling underappreciated. Verse, verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. And there's so much tenderness there. And by the way, this series, I hope it's going to be a a great encouragement to you. Uh, Forgive us if we don't get the right balance there. It's meant to be a tremendous encouragement, but it's also meant to be a challenge. And whenever the things in there, I mean, I know for me, I have been stung by the, I mean, since I've been doing this study, I can see my sins so much more clearly. Oh my goodness, I'm doing that. And, and it can sting. But remember, God is so tender. He's saying, Martha, Martha, or Glenn, Glenn, or whatever your name is. He's sensitively saying, hey, let me help you in this area. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And so for the twos that are here or watching online, or listening later on on podcast, the lesson is simple. Sometimes you think you're serving God or other people when you're actually not. Sometimes all the doing and the caretaking is not what God is calling you to do. The Bible never tells us that Martha asked Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus, what do you need? She took it on herself to make a big to-do out of the occasion. Maybe God simply wants twos and all of us just to relax in his presence. Um, Here's what it's like uh, to be a two. See see if you can identify or if you know one uh, in in your life. Uh, When it comes to taking care of others, 
I don't know how or when to say no. I'm a great listener, and I remember the stories that make up people's lives. I'm anxious to overcome misunderstandings in a relationship. I usually know what other people need or want. Even people I don't know well share deep stuff about their lives with me. Any of you like that? It's like, I just met this person, and they're sharing all this deep stuff with us. It seems like people who love me should already know what I need. It's called mind reading. Uh, I need to be acknowledged and appreciated for my contributions. I'm more comfortable giving than receiving. I like my home to feel like a safe and welcoming place uh, for family and others. I care a great deal about what people think of me. I want other people to think I love everyone, even though I don't. <laughs> I love that. I like it when the people who love me do something unexpected for me. Lots of people ask me for help, and it makes me feel valuable. When people ask me what I need, I have no idea how to answer. So he says, what do you need? I never thought of that. When I'm tired, I often feel like other people take me for granted. Uh, people say my emotions can feel over the top. I feel angry and conflicted when my needs conflict with others. Sometimes it's hard for me to watch movies because I find it almost unbearable to see people suffer. I am not a two. <laughs> Many times I come home and say, Kimberly says, what do you want to watch on TV? I said, I just want to see a lot of people get blown up. That's, that's what I want to see tonight. <laughs> I worry a lot about being forgiven when I make mistakes. So how many of you think you might be a two or have part of a two in you? Let me see your hands. Come on, okay, here we go. How many of you think you might know a two? Anybody? Okay. My wife, Kimberly, is a two. Our daughter, Leah, is a two. Our son, Noah, is a two. I got this email, 916, last night. Hello, Pastor Glenn. So I took the Enneagram test you encouraged us to take. And I'm sending you an email to let you know my results as you ask in the sermon. I am Enneagram Type 2, the helper. I guess that fits me well since I am a maternity nurse. <laughs> a perfect profession for a two. And love to help, support, encourage, and care for mothers and their newborns. Thank you for encouraging us to take this test. It was very interesting uh, warmly, Ashley Hans, And so uh, Ashley uh, sent that to me. And I love it when you all send me things so I can make you uh, the, the illustration uh, for this series. Uh, so let's look at our study outline now. Uh, twos love giving to others and service is their middle name. Uh, their core fears are being unwanted or unworthy of being loved. Uh, their basic desire is being appreciated, loved, and wanted. Now, how I typically communicate if I am a helper. When twos are healthy, uh, they carefully listen to others, ask good questions, are a warm presence, give helpful advice, and are a compassionate and empathetic listener. Uh, when they are unhealthy, they can be either passive-aggressive or very direct and give unsolicited advice. When they are, quote, helping too much, they can get angry and complain. And then practical steps uh, for um, a helper to take. Number one, find a trusted person and humbly and honestly confide your needs to them. Uh, number two, for once, 
for once, uh, somebody was talking to me about this out after the 830 service, how this just, she said, Pastor Glenn, this is just the thing I struggle with. For once, give yourself a break from the constant obligation to take care of other people before yourself. And the best illustration I can think of is this. If you're on an airplane and the flight attendant comes on and he or she says, if in the unlikely event of a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will fall down, and then if you have small children with you, um, take the oxygen mask, put it first on yourself, then turn to help them. It's no, you're no good to anybody if you pass out cold. So put it on first yourself, then turn and help your child or help your husband. Uh, so uh, that's where, that was supposed to be a joke. Okay, yeah, that, that, that only applies to Kimberly. Okay, Kimberly says, okay, put it on myself first, then help Glenn. All right, because I'll be like, how does this thing go on, you know? <laughs> Number three, use this exercise to let go of your need to be appreciated for what you offer others because Christ loves you unconditionally. Colossians 3, Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you're serving. Now what leads to conflict for a helper? Being overused and underappreciated. How to show them love? Tell them specifically, on the, all the time, regularly, what you appreciate about them. And then what can we learn from, from the twos of our church family? What can we learn uh, from the helpers in our life? God wants us to notice the needs of others. This is what I love about helpers. My wife, Kimberly, I'm married to one. And I'm telling you, I can be oblivious to needs. And I love the twos. I love the helpers who help remind me that God wants us this week as we go through life to notice, to see people, to see people, to notice the needs of others around us and try to meet those needs to the best of our ability and with God's help. As the praise team comes back up for closing worship, let me just read Luke 10, verses 33 and 34. There's this uh, man that's beaten up by the side of the road in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. And he's gotten beaten up and he's bruised and, and all the other numbers walk right on by. <laughs> the ones and the th threes and the fours and the fives and the six and the sevens and the eights and the nines, they, they, they walk right on by. The high priest, you know, one of the priests, he, he, he's a three. And so he's got to get that thing done. He's got to achieve. That's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. He's got to get that thing done. So they all walk by. But finally, a two a helper, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, let's spend the week like the helpers, seeing people, seeing their needs. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, because we anticipate that this series may open up some wounds or some enlightenment, uh, what I want to do during this series is uh, we've got a couple of ways that you can pray with people. I'm going to ask the pastors that I've already asked to, to come up here to the front. 
And uh, so if you'd like to pray with a pastor during closing worship, I encourage you to do that. If you'd like to pray more in private with somebody from our prayer team, the prayer room will be open after the service is over. And, and as, we, as we close in worship, if, if maybe you're a one or a two, maybe you're a reformer or a helper, and some of these things have just touched you. And so you want somebody to pray with you about it in your own life. Or maybe there's a one or a two, a reformer or helper that you want to pray for. Or maybe you just want prayer for anything. Or maybe you want to commit your heart to Jesus. You say, I'm uniquely made. Jesus, I want to commit my life to you so that you can, you're the one that made me. So you can show me how I'm made and you can show me how to fulfill your plan for my life, to forgive me, to, as, as Eric was reading the words of Paul, find forgiveness and acceptance in Christ, healing in Christ. If you'd like to make that step, we'd love for you to come forward as well. So let's all stand together. Let's worship for a few minutes. Come forward for prayer if uh, God is speaking to you in any of those areas uh, here this morning.